Previously on the Big Bang Theory. Where the hell is Christian? As far as we know, he had a mental breakdown and fled to Los Angeles. But I, I don't know how to tell the audience that I had a nervous breakdown and, and fled the show to go join something that is increasingly seeming to have been a cult. That's not what you are gonna say. Yeah, you're gonna tell the audience you went to rehab. If uh, Russia does like a full-on land invasion of Ukraine and claims a bunch of their territory, I will literally eat a hat. I will eat a hat live on air. So now I will literally actually eat a hat live to tape on the podcast. Oh boy, here we go. <coughs> People of Earth, how are you? This is William Hung, and you're listening to The Society Show. I am not here for rage, I'm here for revenge. Putting fake blue check marks on tweets to make it seem like they were official and lying. Something very special, coming soon. Oh, a little spice, a little scratch of Broadcasting live to tape across the nation and the world from the Lorena Bobbitt Theater from Seattle's illustrious podcast district, beautiful North Seattle. It's the podcast for a world gone mad. This is the Society Show. And now... Your host, Mr. Society Show himself, Christian Patterson. Oh, yeah! Oh, I said, whoever threw that paper, your mom's a hoe. I'm losing it! Hello, hello, this is the Society Show. Do you believe in society's laws? It is Thursday. April 21st, 2022. 2022, the year of the Society Show. This is episode 2 of season 6 of the Society Show. Thank you for listening. Listen to me! I want to start this episode off talking about a, a very special day for the Society Show. It is this, the... Uh, holiday that we invented here at the show last year if you're listening last year we had a great time and this year diversify your portfolio day falls on this upcoming saturday april 23rd and as you may or may not know the stock market is closed on saturdays And when Diversify Your Portfolio Day falls on a weekend, it is always celebrated the Thursday before. So happy Diversify Your Portfolio Day. And to celebrate, we are starting the show off with a Society Show Top 10 list for you. Sponsored by J.C. Penney. When it fits, you feel it. Tonight's top ten is 
top 10 ways to diversify your portfolio on Diversify Your Portfolio Day. And remember, I am not a financial advisor. And this is not financial advice. Number 10. For those of us who don't have a portfolio, perhaps you can invest $100, maybe $200 if you have it laying around. Gotta start somewhere. Number 9. Stockpile PlayStation 5s to sell online. Absolutely. (laughs) Gotta be doing that. Number 8. Stockpile hand sanitizer and toilet paper for the next pandemic. Number seven, start a lemonade stand. A little old fashioned, but okay. Number six, this one's a little more complicated. Bribe the Australian and Thai aristocrats who own Red Bull to publicly list it on a stock exchange. We want to invest in Red Bull. Number five. Buy Pokemon cards. The bubble has already popped and cards are readily available. Maybe in a decade, people will be having nostalgia for this era of Pokemon cards. Number four. Divest from cryptocurrency and invest in high dividend yield index funds. That's a... That's a good one for you out there. Number three, seek financial advice from a podcast. Number two, seek financial advice from Reddit. And the number one way to diversify your portfolio for Diversify Your Portfolio Day is... Buy a lotto ticket. So we're going to talk about some uh, more financial news, Um, but trust me, it's not boring. I don't think it is, at least, later on in the episode. But first... But first, but first, but first, but first, but first... But first, I mentioned on the Society Show Season 6 premiere last week that I have been in Los Angeles. Yeah, I thought I was at the largest cult commune in LA. Uh, By that I mean the rehab facility. Until I saw how many Scientologists were at the Oscars. And I want to talk about my experience there so segment time this segment will be called reflecting on los angeles and don't worry this segment is not just me navel gazing about my vacation or whatever this segment will say a lot about The first thing I want to establish is that, like, I do think LA is really cool. Like, it's a cool city with a lot of 
a lot going on and things to do and I want to get that out of the way because it seems like LA gets a lot of hate like it gets insulted and put down a lot by people from other parts of the countries and I'm going to have a couple gripes of myself but like I'm not a hater I, I want to make that clear um, like I'm not coming from the place of a hater but the biggest bitch of all the haters. One thing I wanted to say, like, the first thing is I've heard of people who live in LA and people who visit there, like, tourists complain about the parking, but, like, for me, I've, in my adult life, I've lived in Seattle, Portland, and Philadelphia. Parking is so much worse in all of those cities. Like, there were a couple times when I was in LA where I struggled to find parking, like, in busy areas at busy times, but otherwise, street parking is abundant, and, like, it's, there's a lot more just free street parking in a lot of cities. Uh, I parked literally three blocks from, like, the main-ass central intersection of Hollywood, like, down a residential street, and I had no issues finding a spot, and it took ten minutes to walk to, like, the Chinese theater, that main, like, area, and on the other hand, there were times when I was going to a restaurant or something, and I'd be like, oh, I'm only a few blocks away. Here's a parking spot. So you'd park and then end up walking for like 15 minutes, even though it didn't seem far at all. And there would have been p closer spots. Um, so I guess in general, people kind of drive a little crazy there. But trust me, I'm getting more to my point. I'm not just going to be like ranting about like parking. Um, uh the way people drive crazy there is kind of a consequence of poor planning. Like, I noticed immediately how many unprotected left turns there are. Like, just across multiple lanes of traffic. Um, it's super busy and you have to make a left turn, like, basically on a yellow light to get through. And I noticed that it seemed dangerous, like, right away and literally the first night we were there... I saw a car accident because someone was turning left across, like, three lanes of traffic, and everyone was okay, but, like, it's so predictable, you know? In general, it's kind of a shame, because I feel like if LA was less car-dependent as a city, it would be a stronger city. Like, if all the cool stuff in LA was shrunken down into one city that's, like, a third of its size, that would be, like, the craziest city ever, but, like... Maybe we'd also lose something. Like, people love their cars there. And, like, I imagine just, like, the culture there, they'd be like, well, we don't care if you like it. Stay living in your blah, 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 wherever you're from. Like, we'll keep our cars or whatever. And I guess my point is I kind of like things pretty organized. And I think... A lot of our infrastructure is not that well organized or thought out. And, like, the infrastructure in Seattle is pretty well thought out. Like, almost too much. Like, I live kind of by a two-lane street that gets a decent amount of traffic, but it's a two-lane street. And you are unable to turn left onto the street because the city, like, constructed a barrier. Like, they thought it was 
too unsafe to turn left there or go through like a two-lane street and that level of traffic control I guess is like excessive but I'd kind of like prefer a little excessiveness um, to just having like kind of having to do unsafe maneuvers across traffic and uh I guess I just realized that most of the roads in this country aren't organized that way. Like, most of the country is built up along highways. Like, they're, you know, it's highways surrounded by strip malls with neighborhoods behind them. And I grew up in a place kind of like that. So, like, I, I get it. And this is, I'm just more and more saying this is not a safe and optimal way of constructing cities and societies you know we're living in a society and my point is i guess this is really my point we desperately need improved infrastructure in the u.s and i sometimes i forget that because I guess I just don't see the way it works in most of the country. And when we talk about infrastructure, you think about like, oh, bridges are collapsing and like train tracks and stuff. But uh, that isn't the issue with most infrastructure. Like most of it's like, you know, what if we just made roads smoother and like painted the lines on roads more frequently so they weren't like faded or like... What if, like, building codes were stricter? And what if, like, they made it faster to build buildings? Like, there's a huge approval process to make buildings now. And what if we, you know, made four-lane roads into two-lane commercial streets? Like, with sidewalks. Like, I don't know. There's just a bunch of stuff. And, like, I think the U.S. just kind of really needs an overhaul in this regard and there there's obviously like efforts to do this but in the grand scheme of things they're like kind of few and far between and it's just not cutting it for me anymore we we really need improved infrastructure in the u.s but all of that's to say I really liked visiting LA and it's a great city. I don't want to be like a downer about it. It's kind of besides the point I wanted to make. It's just what made me think of it. That's an awfully hot coffee pot. Should I drop it on Donald Trump? Probably not, but that's all I got till I come up with a solid. He says he wants to lower our taxes. Then who's gonna pay for his extravagant trips? Back and forth with his fam to his golf resorts and his mansions. Racism's the only thing he's fantastic for. That's not disrespecting the military. That's not disrespecting the military. That's an awfully hot coffee pot. I did say we would be getting more into some financial news. This next segment is called Angry Cash. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. We're going to spend this segment talking about a guy who is on the society show denunciation list you know what's gonna happen 
Oh, you know what's happening to you right now? Huh? You know what's gonna happen? What? You just made the list! If you're not familiar with the Society Show Denunciation list, we have periodically added people to the list if they've done especially egregious things. And people who um, might come up again as kind of recurring people. The way I'm kind of framing it is as if I'm talking about someone you'd never heard of, but I'm talking about Elon Musk. He is one of the several people on the denunciation list. So um, he's been having a lot of financial things going on. Of course, the most prominent thing um, as of late is that he is attempting a hostile takeover of Twitter. But And I'll get to that. But I also wanted to talk about, remember the show was on hiatus, so I'm, I'm playing catch up a little bit. And, um, so this story is from almost basically a month ago now, March 22nd. This didn't get much news, but I'm kind of intrigued by this because I've, I've been expecting Elon Musk to get his comeuppance from the SEC for a while and it's kind of happening. It's just not as public as some of his other stuff or reported on, I should say. Um, this is from AP News. The headline is SEC claims authority to subpoena Elon Musk about tweets. And then from the body of the article, it says U.S. securities regulators say they have legal authority to subpoena Tesla and CEO Elon Musk about his tweets and that Musk's move to throw out a 2018 court agreement that his tweets be pre-approved is not valid. So at this point of the article, when I first read it, I was a little confused about the... uh, what they mean by this 2018 court agreement about tweets being pre-approved. I didn't get that, but the article explains further on. So they write, quote, The Securities and Exchange Commission also disclosed publicly that it is investigating Musk's November 6, 2021 tweet that asked followers whether he should sell 10% of his Tesla stake. The commission confirmed that it issued administrative subpoenas while investigating whether Musk and Tesla are complying with disclosure controls in the 2018 agreement. So, and then in this paragraph, they explain the 2018 agreement, which kind of ties this all up. So, quote, details of the investigation were revealed Tuesday in the SEC's response to a motion from a Musk attorney asking a judge to nullify a subpoena and throw out the 2018 agreement, including a requirement that Musk's tweets be pre-approved by a company attorney. So basically what this is saying is that Elon Musk agreed in 2018 that he wouldn't tweet out anything unless an attorney for his company approved it first. And then the SEC is like, well, clearly this is not being followed because why the hell would an attorney let him tweet I should I or should I not sell 10% of Tesla stakes? Because the thing that doesn't make sense of, about that is 
it would probably, and I'm assuming it did, I don't know for sure, lower Tesla's stock after he tweeted that, which makes me think, and I'm assuming the SEC also think, that he uh, already took out 10%. Stop! You violated the law! But this is not the only mix-up with the SEC that Elon Musk has had recently because he's also being investigated by them because of his Twitter-related stuff So that's been going on a little more recently. So here's another article from Reuters, the headline, quote, Tesla's Musk may add to U.S. SEC ire in late report about Twitter stake. So basically what this article says, I'm not going to read it by detail, like really read it like specifically, I'm just going to summarize it, is basically Elon Musk, when he bought all those shares of Twitter, he was supposed to alert the SEC uh, within 10 days about it, and he never did that. And so it's kind of a bureaucratic thing, but this article basically says it's a slam dunk. Like, this is, it's just such an easy thing for them to get him on. But, I mean, he does plenty of stuff that's easy to get him on. They just don't want to do it. Like, they don't care usually. Um, but they're, it seems like they're more, like, petty. Like, this guy really needs to be taken down a peg. But the SEC, they're not going to be the ones to, like, really actually do it how you want. But another thing that he did when he bought Twitter is... Uh, he fil filed a 13G disclosure form for investors. Um, this basically just means that you're just going to hold the, the share and make money off of it. Hold it passively, as the article said. But then, you know, he disclosed that he wanted a Twitter board seat and wanted to change the company. And that means he should have filed a 13D rather than G form, which is used by activist investors, as this article says. So he's just constantly feeling like he can break rules like this. And the reality is... He is getting some punishment, but it's not a punishment for him because it doesn't really matter. He's still, like, super rich. It, it doesn't matter what the SEC does. They just fine him a lot and be like, oh, your lawyer has to look at your tweets, but then he doesn't do it, and it doesn't really matter, but... Not to be too pessimistic because he is getting some comeuppance, but... Elon Musk is like attempting a hostile takeover of Twitter. So he, you know, you might know this already. This is more widely reported, but he picked up 9.2% of Twitter. And then Vanguard, the giant like fund, super fund, super max fund prison, I don't know what to call it, but the giant ass Vanguard group they increased their holdings to 10.3%. And then Elon Musk was trying to do a 100% buyout of Twitter, where he'd offer $54.20 per share in cash, 
What I was reading is a lot of people think that's too low. They interviewed a Saudi prince in in one article I read where he was basically like, ha ha, does he think he can buy it with that money? Ha ha, <laughs> something like that, <laughs> basically. So he's trying to do like this hostile takeover and and make it a private company that like he owns basically and so that means that like twitter has then put in a poison pill which i don't exactly understand what that is but i'll tell you my rudimentary understanding of it but basically a poison pill is when the corporate board of directors change the way people can invest so like if one person buys over x amount of stocks then the stocks become discounted to everyone else it increases the amount that other people buy that dilutes the the amount that the people that the person attempting the hostile takeover initially bought it will also like increase the value of the company because once the poison pill is triggered, then the other people start buying a lot of shares. The price goes up, which makes it even less desirable to buy the company because it, it starts becoming more valued. So I, I don't think Elon Musk is really going to get a hold of Twitter. I, I It just doesn't seem like it. And I would not be happy about it. Like, he would make it so crappy. It would just turn into one, like one in a million social media sites. And I mean, Twitter already has its issues, but I, I like it. I use it every day. So, I mean, I just do not want him to control it. Holy crap. Elon Musk has denied that he meant to call a British cave diver a pedophile when he dubbed the guy pedo guy on social media. Now, I have some news to get to, but first. But first, but first, but first, but first, but first, but first. This episode is brought to you by Nissan. Nissan, shift expectations. You can with a Nissan. Innovation that excites. Built for the human race, Nissan. Major motion from Nissan. Life is a journey, enjoy the ride. Everything you want, nothing you don't. Nissan. Thank you for sponsoring the show, Nissan. Los Angeles was buzzing New Year's morning over a high-flying stunt that could be seen for miles. I thought we came to see the Hollywood sign, not, not the Hollywood sign, but hey, it's okay with me. The change is the ultimate throwback to 1976 when activists used the four-story letters as a political play on words. In the dark of night, some marijuana fanciers snuck up to the fabled Hollywood sign high in the hills above Tinseltown and strung sheets to make it read Hollyweed. Facts don't care about your feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings. These are facts. 
I uh, don't have a lot to say about this, but I do just want to draw attention to it, maybe get into some of the details, because I haven't seen it reported on in any national news in the U.S. at all, really. So there have been major protests going on in Sri Lanka. They're generally protesting against the president, Gotabaya Rajapaksa, uh, because, I mean, his family, the Rajapaksa family, have kind of had a stranglehold on Sri Lankan politics for a long time. Several of them have been president. I don't know if they're exactly, like, a dictatorial, like, royalty i mean they still have elections but it does seem like they have a lot of control over sri lankan politics and they sri lanka is in the middle of like an extreme economic crisis with severe inflation people are regularly out of power um there's shortages of everything basically and People are just like, yeah, he has to resign, and also his family needs to resign and have kind of a have another election. Let's let's do this. Let's do a legit election. But the government has been clamping down pretty hard on it. They declared state of emergency. There's military arrests. You can't go on social media or anything. Um, curfews, and which created more backlash, of course. And, like, it created issues such as when they block social media, people just use VPNs around it, and then they're like, well, this is pointless, and they stop blocking the internet, like, <laughs> the next day or something like that. But these protests, like I said, are still ongoing, and... They've gotten some results so far. There were a lot of people who resigned from the president's cabinet. I think at the end of the day, these protests will be successful. I mean, I'm going to be real. Like, if the the electricity was out for half a day every day in the U.S., I think there would be mass protests like this, too. Like, that's one of those things where it's just like, what else are you going to do? At that point, it's kind of like... Similar to, like, if you are starving, you don't have food, what are you going to do? <laughs> That's when you, like, protest. That's when you feel it in your gut. Like, I need to really protest every day against this because what else do I have to lose? If your power's out every day, I mean, part of it would just be like, oh, I'm freaking bored and my government's freaked up. What am I going to do? I, that's part of it as well, but so uh, maybe I'll do more on this soon, and especially if anything else develops. We will dismantle oppression board by board. We'll saw the foundation of big business in half, even if it takes an eternity. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about the ousting of the Prime Minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan. So I want to start out by saying that Imran Khan and a lot of people in Pakistan kind of believe this was this ousting of him was supported by the U.S. And, of course, I definitely believe that. I mean... 
Not because I think Imran Khan is a super interesting or great guy. I don't really know, but I just would never put anything like that past the U.S. But basically this started because Imran Khan attempted to disband Parliament and the Supreme Court basically ruled that he couldn't do that and restored the Parliament. And so he was left with the option to resign or quit. Or resign or be fired. And by fired, I mean voted out by the parliament. In general, Imran Khan seemed to have been losing support from Pakistan's military. Which has a lot of control and influence throughout Pakistan. So what ended up happening is, you know, he was fired. He was voted out. You're fired. And a lot of people were really upset about this. He does have a lot of public support. I've also seen people criticize him for basically being like an Obama type figure. Like talk a really big talk about the poor, but just be, you know, surrounded by the capitalist class. But... I mean, he does have support, so did Obama, and and Imran Khan says that he's really trying to fight against this, and, you know, he, like he said, he has accused the U.S. of working behind the scenes, so we'll see where that goes. Um, I guess I don't have much to say about it. It's kind of a shame, but kind of not. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever you say, Boomer. Okay, okay, Boomer. And for this next story, like I said, I'm playing catch up a little bit because some of these stories really happened while we were on hiatus. And I think by next week I'll be more on track of talking about more current news, but I'm still catching up on important stuff that fell through the cracks. And uh, so for this next segment, I am going to talk about the CIA surveillance that was revealed to some degree, and also a story that came out about torture in the CIA. So I'll, I'll start with the torture story and then move on to the uh, surveillance story. So this story about torture came out in The Guardian. It was from March 14th, so over a month ago. The headline... CIA black site detainee served as training prop to teach interrogators torture techniques. Basically, this guy they had, Amar al-Baluchi, in a lot of ways he kind of seems like a patsy because he was detained before the charges against him are, quote, facilitated the 9-11 attackers acting as a courier for Osama bin Laden and plotting to crash a plane packed with explosives into the U.S. consulate in Karachi. And he was cousins with, or related to in some way, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who was 
you know, considered like the architect of 9-11. And so he, you know, he did have these ties to 9-11. But there were some things that I'm a little like, he, he definitely could have been some type of patsy because the extent of his involvement was primarily transferring money to different people. And this includes like from Osama bin Laden to the Saudi hijackers. And Al Baluchi claims that he often helped people in Dubai do these things to supplement his income. And he had no way of knowing whether any of them were criminals. It, it is like very possible that he was basically just like, we have a lot of money and can you wire us money when we get to America? We want to go to America. And he's like, yeah, let me, let me show you how to act American and stuff like that. And you know, how would he know? But then again, he does have ties to people who absolutely did a lot of stuff for September 11th. So who knows? But he, he was just like transferring money here or there to different like Islamic communities and Islamic people throughout the US and it would be like, you know, a few thousand here or there. And I just I would believe it's possible he wouldn't have a way of knowing what he was doing. But and then I guess just another part that really highlights all of this, which really like makes it more I'm just like not sure what to think is that Abelucci, we don't know how much of this information came while he was being tortured or not, because his trial is still, like, being pushed and pushed and pushed, primarily because a lot of this testimony was gotten from torture, and they're, like, debating the legality of that. Al Al Baluchi is most famous for is if you've ever seen Zero Dark Thirty, the the character that is tortured so much at the beginning of the movie is Al Al Baluchi. It's very much based on him with intelligence information like the u.s intelligence community was feeding these people a ton of info to make this movie for a long time i kind of defended this movie because i was like oh well it, it portrays the cia in a really negative light i'm talking about zero dark 30 it portrays them in a really negative light but now i don't really think it was intended to do that and I guess you can't like I do try to read things independent of intention but like just the fact that it had so much like CIA collaboration to make the movie Zero Dark Thirty I I just don't think I can trust it man like I, I will probably never watch that movie again so many great movies but anyway back to this article so about the torture of Amar al-Baluchi. Basically, it has come out, and this is no already known in some ways, and what is not known is not surprising either, is he was used as a human prop for the CIA black sites training on how to torture people. 
one of the torture techniques they used on him, one of many uh, that is described in this Guardian article, is a thing called walling, where, I mean, from the way that they describe it, it's a little hard to visualize, but they basically put the, the torture subject's heels against a plywood wall, which was flexible, and they'd put a towel around the detainee's neck and then the the torturer would grab the towel so it's around the person's neck as they're against the wall and then shove the the person being tortured into the wall without letting go of the towel and the idea was to like keep like keep hitting the torture subject against the wall and of course they were naked for all this they just like do it for two hours at a time they said just bouncing someone against the wall repeatedly when they have no backwards when they have no control of their body and you know this article also talks about how a uh, neuropsychologist says quote a neuropsychologist carried out an mri of Bellucci's head in late 2018 and found quote abnormalities indicating moderate to severe brain damage so it's kind of impossible to deny that this would be related especially because the cia was literally using him as a, a human prop to train people how to torture like they were doing it one after the other which implied some sort of like certification by torturing him i'll never apologize for the united states of america Ever. I don't care what the facts are. And then there's also the story. This is also from The Guardian. This is from more than two months old now. This story came out in February 11th. Headline, Declassified Documents Reveal CIA Has Been Sweeping Up Information on Americans. And there's really not much to say about this. I'll quote a couple paragraphs from the article. The CIA has been secretly collecting Americans' private information in bulk according to new declassified documents. The surveillance program was exposed on Thursday by two Democrats on the Senate Intelligence Committee Ron Wyden of Oregon and Martin Heinrich of New Mexico alleged that the CIA has long concealed it from the public and Congress. The two senators, frequent critics of the CIA, said they are not allowed to reveal specifics about what type of data has been subject to bulk collection and called for more details about the program to be declassified. So, I mean, we don't know much. We basically just know this exists, but... We basically know that they, like, collect people's data if they interact with a foreign intelligence interest. And what I can really just imagine that means is, like, they could, like, the CIA can make some freaking fake social media account and follow you. And, like, if you follow back and ever tweet at them, then they get suspicious 
Like, who knows what that means? They could be, and I'm guessing they are not discriminate about what information they collect. I think this program has to be freaking massive. Uh, it, even though we don't know much about it, we do know it exists. And like, from the way it is described, it sounds freaking massive. Uh, and it's scary. And the reality is like the NSA has all of this information and more. And presumably you would think the CIA has access to that. So the whole thing is, I mean, if the CIA ever wants to make you look bad, like, they can find it. They they have it somewhere. Um, so it's just scary to think about that. And, you know, I always remind people on this show about the reauthorization of the Smith-Munt Act, which basically made it legal for the CIA to distribute propaganda in the United States. Of course, that never stopped them before, but they are just increasingly involved with the production of media and the distribution of pro-CIA messaging domestically. So it's all just really scary. And with that, it's a good place to stop. Thank you for listening to The Society Show. My name is Christian. I'm going to give my final little spiel here, but stay tuned for afterwards because we have a very special edition of Cheaters produced for the Society Show at the end of the show here. But uh, my name is Christian. You can follow me on Twitter at Christian is cool. You can follow the Society Show on Twitter at society underscore show. You can find out more about the show at societyshow.net. We also have some clips from old episodes on YouTube. I'm going to be uploading more of those as we go on throughout season six, kind of bulking up the YouTube. And uh, with that, stay tuned for the special cheaters segment coming up. But uh, other than that, thank you for listening to The Society Show. Hi, everyone. This is William Hung. So thank you for supporting this show. Hello, I'm Christian Patterson. Welcome back to another episode of Cheers. April reached out to Cheaters, fearing infidelity in her relationship. At the end of her rope, April turns to our detectives as the last hope to learn the truth. Suspect's identity is Steve, age 44, a locksmith accused of unlocking new love connections. Cheaters operatives keep vigil over April and Steve's abode. Mobile units begin following the licentious locksmith as he drives to a nearby apartment complex. An unknown female companion greets her beau in the parking lot with a passionate embrace. Steve offers the special friend a teddy bear. The two slunk away to her third floor suite. Hours later, the lusty lovers emerge. 
Steve's mystery teddy bear walks him to his car and leaves him with a modest peck goodnight. The next day, Steve and the unknown beauty, now identified as Susan, are tracked to a nearby adult novelty shop. They enter and examine the naughty unmentionables. The locksmith's lover buys something frisky that she can't do without, and the duo make their way back to the car where Steve makes a quick phone call. After some frisky fun, the lovebirds head to their final destination, a concert venue where these two snuggle bugs jaunt into a rocking concert. Hours later, the audio files emerge from the venue. The two bedmates drive off into the night and keep each other company at a motel. With the truth, the libertine lockmaster's flagrant philandering revealed, cheaters investigators approach April. Alright April, we have compiled the results of our eight-week investigation. Anything you want to say before I show you this footage? I just want to say that I'm eight weeks pregnant. Wow, okay, congratulations. Does Steve know this yet? No. Well, you know, cheaters conducted an investigation. Here's the footage. On this day of the investigation, we followed Steve to an apartment complex. Oh my god. He exits his vehicle, hugs this woman. Oh no. And they go inside. Do you know this woman? Yes. Who is that? My sister. Wow. So anyway, two days later, we saw Steve pick up Susan, your sister, and they went to an adult novelty shop. That's where we go. Yes, and after shopping for adult novelties, he made a phone call. Do you remember this? Hey, baby, you coming home tonight? Hey, uh, well, actually, babe, I have uh, to stay late for work. You know, we have a... Uh... We just have a, a lot of locks today, so I gotta work on these locks. It's almost midnight on a Saturday. Do you even love me anymore? You're like never at home. You're always busy. What's going on? Of course I love you, babe. I, uh, uh, I love you so much, but, you know, locks pay the bills, so I've been smithing a lot of locks and, uh, yeah. Things just haven't been the same between us, Steve. We're talking about our family, Steve. You should love me and your family more than locks. Uh, get off my back, babe. I, uh, love you. It's just the, uh, locks. Well, okay. Bye. Bye. Do you remember this conversation? Yes, yes, I do. I don't want to watch any more of this video. <laughs> I've seen enough. I know it's hard to watch, but I'm still going to show you. So anyway, <laughs> they went to a concert, <laughs> then exited, and drove off to a motel. <laughs> Why? So we have detectives following them now. They are currently at a backyard wrestling show. Are you ready to confront Steve? Yes, let's go. Next, 
on the society show give you dumb f-ker. What, what are you doing here babe what am i doing here what are you doing here with that f-ing skank it's just a wrestling show babe yeah at our favorite wrestling venue